0: hello and welcome to our podcast uh chronically colon narnia this is episode five in which we'll be discussing uh chapter five of the magician's nephew which is titled
1: the deplorable word
0: the deplorable word if you're joining us for the very first time uh this is a podcast where we read through the entirety of the series of the chronicles of narnia and we analyze every chapter line by line and take them apart with a literary eye and try to figure out as much meaning from them as we can and have fun with it along the way i'm with my wife and podcasting partner Kristen, who is an english major and knows more about these things than i do hello and i i'm funny so that's why i'm here at least that's that's my opinion. I don't know if it's hers.
1: He also has a name. Nice to meet you, funny. I'm Kristen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris. But uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, let's pop right into it.
1: All so. right. So we're reading Chapter 5, The Deplorable Word. Now, uh, Chris, you have not read these book, this book before. Correct. Um, so... Tell me uh, your thoughts. I know that you really liked the wood between the world, wor- wood between the worlds, uh-huh. and you were really interested in what was going on in this new world that our explorers have arrived in. Yeah, uh, which in this chapter we discover is a world called Charn. Mm-hmm. So, tell me your thoughts.
0: Um, I mean, the last chapter we kind of looked at how this world had been you know, decrepit and falling apart and, uh, very much a dead world because they were going through it and the entire place was silent and there's no living things and everything was crumbling. And this is, uh, kind of a backstory behind that. And we find out the root cause of this issue, uh, and kind of more, more darkness, more dreariness and kind of a sense of dread that permeates this chapter as we introduce a character who's probably going to be a big deal at some point. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. so we can jump into that after after we kind of break down the chapter. We do this thing where we pick a selection of sentences out and we read them. This is
1: our attempt to summarize the chapter with sentences from the chapter itself. So we try to choose between three and five sentences each and um, take sentences out of the context of the chapter, organize them into a narrative that tries to convey the plot of the chapter. And uh, Chris, why don't you go first?
0: Okay, these are my sentences. We've come from another world, by magic, said Polly, who thought it was high time the Queen took notice of her as well as of Diggory. I do hope Diggory has the sense to keep his mouth shut. Such was Charn the great city, the city of the King of Kings, the wonder of the world, perhaps of all worlds. But the people, gasped Diggory. Why, it's absolute bosh from beginning to end.
1: Okay, we'll get to my reactions on that in a minute. Let me go ahead and read my sentences. One of the robed figures, the furthest off one of all, the woman whom Diggory thought so beautiful, was rising from its chair. A moment later, I was the only living thing beneath the sun. But they all fell, and their very names are forgotten. Her pride has destroyed the whole world. This is what happens to things and to people who stand in my way.
0: Wow. Okay. You went very dark and epic with yours.
1: (laughs) Well... For yours, you kind of focused on the events of what happened after this bell tolled and the kids are swept along by this queen who's introduced as the character Jadis. Yes. This queen. Yeah. And I felt like it was important as a plot element to discuss Jadis.
0: Very large woman.
1: Yes, very large woman.
0: Built like a fridge.
1: Huge tracts of
0: mm-hmm. land. I don't think we mentioned the tracts of land. <laughs>
1: But you have focused kind of on what happened with the kids. And I kind of focused on Jadis. Yes. In my structure. And like you really, I feel like you really took Polly on as like your storytelling system. And I took Jadis on as my storytelling system. We both just ignored Diggory. He's just that kid over there we hope keeps his mouth shut.
0: Yeah, he doesn't do a lot in this chapter. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah,
1: but this is a very, uh, you know, two woman sen- sentence summary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get into it. What did you What did you think about the chapter? Sorry, it's been a while since we recorded, and I forgot how we did this podcast. Uh, so, <laughs> what did you think? Um, general so, outlines. I mean,
1: general outlines. Diggory did a dumb thing and hit the hammer, and the two kids were fighting at the end of the last chapter about, you know, like, trying to stop Diggory from doing the dumb thing. And it has caused damage to the building, and Jadis has risen from her chair. Completely, uh... Kind of reinvents our idea of what um, a magician and a, and a magic user is. Because so far in the story, we've been introduced to magic as this thing that Uncle Andrew attempted to grapple with because he had a fairy godmother and he was given some things and he sought out, you know, some deplorable people, if mm-hmm. you will, in order to learn more about magic. And then you have Jadis rising up as a queen being like, oh, well, anyone who has access to magic is clearly of royal blood. These go hand in hand. And she blows a door off of its hinges and tells the story of how she, with a single word and certain ceremonies, had managed to literally Thanos everyone out of existence (laughs) Uh on an entire planet. Yeah. And just leave herself alone on that planet. And then had set out charms and magical things to put herself into a sleep until someone would come and wake her. Yeah. Which, that I don't understand.
0: I don't understand either. And this is is a very interesting plot point that I'll get to later in my section, but go on.
1: Well, I mean, like, I, I I, would love to dig into that right now. Because other than that, like, there's nothing really... This this is a very world-building of Charn and adding to our understanding of magic chapter. That's what this chapter does. Yeah. We also get a lot of side details about how Charn was not a good place. Uh, that the Seems royal that I... family there, I mean, at least Jadis points out the torture chambers and the banquet halls where her father murdered hundreds of people because they had rebellious thoughts. Yeah. And that's creepy as you've kind of introduced these children into this world. And this is just the world that they happened to jump into the pool of when they knew that they could safely get back to the wood between the worlds and get back home and they felt comfortable exploring this is where they ended up Uh-huh. and they they wandered around in in silence and emptiness rang a bell and now this woman is like these are the torture chambers and this is where my father killed all these people and this is how I learned about the deplorable world word in order to kill my sister and everyone else on the planet.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty pretty dark place.
1: It is a very dark place. I'm also going to have a lot of trouble saying deplorable word because I always want to say deplorable world because the R sounds are more appealing in succession like that.
0: Take that L right out of there.
1: Deplorable word. Okay. Um, so, we, yeah, we have this queen, and, and she doesn't introduce herself as a queen until after Diggory has described her as a queen multiple times. Uh Diggory sees this woman as regal, as royal, as queen. And it's kind of a reverse of when the queen looks at him and says, you came here on another's magic. You don't have that magician thing, that touch, that aura. You you aren't a magician. You came here on someone else's magic. And she then says, you know... Oh, like magic comes with the royal blood. So it's almost like he's he's sensing the magic royalty connection in the same way that she's looking for it in him. Uh-huh. But anyway, super dark place. She just, just talks about how she killed everybody on the planet. Like it's not a big deal. Um, yeah, I have a lot to say about Jadis and and her murdering and stuff, but um. Why don't you take a minute?
0: So let's compare Jadis and Uncle Andrew here for a second. Yes! Okay, good. What?
1: I'm glad that you decided to do that.
0: <sighs> okay, calm, calm down. Okay. i very excited why, co-host. Why
1: don't you say that again?
0: <laughs> let's, I like your excitedness. We can keep that in. <laughs> okay, so let's compare Jadis and Uncle Andrew here for yes, a second. Yes,
1: please. Please. Okay, <sighs> okay, this is something that I wanted to get into. So yes, yeah. you start. Uh, so. Tag. <laughs> You're it.
0: I think it's interesting that so far in the book we have exactly two instances of people who can use some sort of magic And they are both awful people and they're both portrayed as Evil and terrible and not people that you'd want to spend any time around and I'm curious number one If this is a theme that keeps going through the books uh, Where anybody who can use magic is you know by default evil because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely
1: I mean you're skipping over the entire entity that is Aslan in Narnia.
0: Yes, but he's not using magic.
1: He no, he very <laughs> specifically says that like the the white witch had had not known of the deep magic.
0: Okay.
1: I mean he okay. he specifically says that like the reason that the stone table breaks spoilers in <laughs> the lion the witch and the wardrobe is because of the deep magic and the white witch's lack of understanding of the deep magic. So, Uh Aslan uses magic. Yeah. So, later in the series, there are characters who use magic who are not witches and evil queens and... Mad uncles. Mad uncles. Uh,
0: so that was my quick comparison that I wanted to draw. Uh, that they're both immediately portrayed as very, uh, rotten people.
1: On our comparisons, I want to talk about Jadis as I presented her in my sentences, where she talks about um, destroying the world. uh, (laughs) um, And uh, so comparison-wise between uh, Uncle Andrew and Jadis, I have two sentences that I want to read. One is from Jadis to Diggory. You must learn, child. That what would be wrong for you or for any of the common people is not wrong in a great queen such as I. So that's Jadis talking to Diggory. Mm -hmm. Then we have Uncle Andrew talking to Diggory back in Chapter 2. Uncle Andrew says, Uncle Andrew says to Diggory, Oh, I see. You mean that little boys ought to keep their promises? Very true, most right and proper, I'm sure, and I'm very glad you have been taught to do it. But of course you must understand that rules of that sort, however excellent they may be for little boys and servants and women, and even people in general, can't possibly be expected to apply to profound students and great thinkers and sages. No degree. Men like me, who possess hidden wisdom, are freed from common rules, just as we are cut off from common pleasures. Ours, my boy, is a high and lonely destiny. Mm-hmm. So comparing the statements that these two people have made to Diggory, yeah. they are very similar in what they are well, they... portraying of what it is to be a queen or a magic user in this kind of like, oh, dear boy, you think rules are important? Those don't apply to us
0: well they even use exactly the same line yeah they both say ours is a high and lonely destiny yes which i find interesting uh which i read that and remembered that it was the same line and thought maybe this is pointing to a common source and that whatever places that these two people have picked up magic from uh there's a commonality there and there's a common thread yes that's linking them together somehow
1: and in in talking about where they're getting this from Mm -hmm. um uncle andrew uncle andrew says i was learning a good deal in other ways it would not be proper to explain them to a child about magic in general so he he talks about some devilish queer people and some disagreeable experiences, uh, that was what turned my head gray. And so he talks about this idea of where he learns all of this from. And then the queen herself talks about where she learned the deplorable word. And uh-huh. when she talks about learning the deplorable word, she says, she says, But I learned it in a secret place and paid a terrible price to learn it. So both of them talk about this cost that they were willing to pay to learn these things. And I think that that is a big part of why they are these deplorable, evil, horrible people as they're portrayed in common as magic users. They both have done horrible things and and been willing to pay horrible prices mm-hmm. in order to learn this magic and to do these things. And I think that that is more in line of, of communicating why they are horrible people, is that they are willing to do these horrible things to become more powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: that's more important of an explanation of who they are and what they are than... Um, Like magic corrupting them. Uh I think it points to the fact that they were already corrupted and they did corrupt things in order to gain more magic.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Um, And then I wanted to throw this contrast out there. Okay, contrasting them. Which I thought was uh, one of the very interesting parts of this chapter is that we have this comparison and we have the, all these demonstrations that Jadis is this amazingly powerful sorceress and, like, she destroys these enormous, like, metal doors and she talks about having killed all the people in this entire world and she stopped time and, like, she has all this power at the same... Go on, you have something you really want to jump into. What is it? Well, uh, before I Before mean, I say it.
1: Uncle Andrew has killed some guinea pigs, so, I mean, he's kind of <laughs> just as bad.
0: Of course, yeah. <laughs> He's just as bad. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, So at the same time, she did all this and she stopped time and froze herself in place waiting for somebody to come and find her, which very much implies that despite all of her power, she had no way of getting out of her world. Yeah. She had no way of leaving, whereas Uncle Andrew did. And he and, was afraid to. And despite all the contrast in their power and the fact that Aunt, Uncle Andrew is just nothing compared to what she can do, he figured out how to do something that she could not. True.
1: but I, I, And I, I can't argue with that except to be like, well, we have to figure out what it is that he did. He, made, he You called him uh, an artificer and uh-huh. not a magician uh, uh-huh. back in Chapter 2. Yeah. and I think that that's a big part of it is that he realistically he knows how to make things more than he knows how to use magic and that's where his strength lies. Uh-huh. I find it very interesting also that Jadis talks about he must have this magician master of yours must have seen my image in a mirror and it called out to him mm-hmm. to come wake me from my sleep. Yeah. So She must have somehow tried to enchant this sleep of hers to summon someone to her. Yeah. I mean, clearly Diggory looked upon her and thought her the most beautiful person there. And he thought, oh, she's a queen. And he was just infatuated with her Uh from the moment he saw her as a, what he thought was a wax figure. Uh Uh-huh. And he was overwhelmed with the desire to ring the bell. So there was clearly some enchantment there that would influence um, some magician or magic user or maybe just a man. Because the whole time, Polly's like, yeah, no, not so impressive. Yeah, no, don't ring the bell. Yeah, no, this is a horrible person. And I really hope Diggory keeps his mouth shut because he's done some dumb things so far. Like, it's clearly targeted. To Uh someone who would be subject to the queen's influence as this beautiful woman. Uh Um, And within that, like, I find it very interesting that she expected to be woken up. Uh She went and subjected herself to this sleep enchantment, knowing that she had put it out there somehow. So... That she may not be able to travel outside of her world, but she knows that other worlds exist, and she also feels like she's capable of communicating to worlds outside of hers.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Whether it's, you know, she knows that magic is universal somehow, or she thinks that it is somehow outside mm-hmm. of just her world can go beyond
0: that. Uh-huh. Trans-universal even.
1: Yeah. Trans-universal <sighs> even. mm mm-hmm. So, I I mean, I just find that to be a very interesting perspective from Jadis that, you know, magic supersedes the the existence and presence of that single world that she was in. I find it a very interesting world-building technique to be like magic is permeating everything, at least from Jadis' perspective. Whether it really is or not, we are not sure yet, but Mm -hmm. Jadis assumes that her call... Yeah. Of enchantment will reach somebody.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was interesting. Also, that whole paragraph where she goes into that was super eye-rolly to me. Where she's just like, well, obviously this is what happened. And somebody was taken aback by my beauty and you know, thought to make me theirs. And sent someone, uh, using a spell that shook the very foundations of the world, had to send a messenger to gather me and bring me to them. Like...
1: Yeah. yeah, it's very eye yeah. I agree. It's also she,
0: she was a bit of a cartoony villain in this chapter. She is,
1: <laughs> yes, a little bit of cartoony when it comes to that. But she's also hoping that someone more powerful than her will wake her because uh-huh. she she can't leave her world. Uh huh. So she knows that someone who is capable of getting to her to shake the very foundations of the world would be able to possibly stand up to her, subjugate her. I mean, like, obviously she talks about coming back to our world and ruling our world within a year. Uh-huh. And she expects that she is capable of, you know, dominating another world besides Charm. And yet she's also expecting that whoever it is that comes to get her is as strong at minimum and more capable than she is. Uh-huh. So I find that that's a little arrogant on top of the cartooniness
0: uh-huh. of
1: being like, well, you know, this is how it happened.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the, uh, the age of Charn and why this is important. Mm. Because it's something that's uh, referred to and alluded to several times in the chapter. Uh, and specifically in this line where Diggory is talking about the yellow sun of our world and Jadis gets this look in her eye and she's just like, oh, a younger world. Why is this important?
1: So at this point in time when C.S. Lewis is writing this, it is, it is 10 to 12 years after the astronomer who actually... Um, explored and penned the theory of stellar evolution, like the way that the actual stars change over time. Mm -hmm. So it was about 10 to 12 years after he died. He died in 44. um, Arthur Eddington. Um, He died in 44. So this theory of stellar evolution as stars um, uh, become red giants as they're dying Uh is a you know young theory at this point that theory was developed penned and published during CS Lewis's lifetime while he was writing other sci-fi books yeah. you know and so this this theory is newish it's under 20 years old or 30 years old within the collective consciousness so i find it really cool that he took that and said okay so we're gonna talk about charn. It's a planet with a red giant star. It is yeah. expanded. It's old. It's yeah. it's dying. Um, and this this star is expanding and it's dying. Yeah. And as a star dies, the civilization will die. I and um she's looking at oh, a young world. You have a yellow sun. That means you have a younger world because she knows that the stars Relate to the planets uh, or the evolution of the system, like the way the age of the system. And so, as she's um, talking about it, she's going, she's wanting to go to a younger world. She's clearly capable of sustaining herself in some kind of enchanted sleep. So, it's possible that she's just excited about a younger world where she can live longer and dominate longer and have a whole new chance. It's also possible that a younger world has a different grasp of magic and that she can do more with it. It's also a different time frame in the development of a civilization. Uh-huh. It's so it's, it's a very different world. And, I mean, we're talking about Diggory's world is pre-World War I. Like, this is a world where it's very much isolated and people groups and, and different countries and civilizations yeah. so she's she's probably picturing a younger world as something that is more uh, bountiful more ready to be you know ripe and harvested from uh-huh possibly I mean that's my that's my take on it
0: yeah it's a thought and like this whole this whole idea of stellar evolution would have been completely foreign uh, in Victorian London and in Diggory's mind. But at the same time, he's looking at the sun in the sky and saying, it looks very old and tired. And
1: Yeah. I mean, red light tired. looks old and tired. Yeah. And, as opposed to a bright white light or a yellow mm-hmm. light.
0: Uh, also, Jadis makes some sort of comment about <clears throat> the the sun on their world having been that way for hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, which to me sort of implied that this civilization on this planet is very, very old. Yeah. And they've, they've been around for a long, long, long time. Uh, I don't know whether it's implying that she herself is like immortal or something and has been around forever or just the civilization itself has been chugging along for forever at this point. Uh, well,
1: clearly she's not immortal because we, uh, we were introduced to the Hall of Images, uh-huh. her ancestors.
0: Yeah. So there
1: are other people that she considers ancestors Yeah, well, she mentions
0: her. her great-great-grandfather who killed all the people in this castle. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and I, I thought that was interesting where we have this idea of a very old civilization who at the same time has not uh, moved beyond uh, where society is on Earth at the moment. And, you know, they're still in a state of being, well... Before she came along, they were still in a state of uh, very feudalistic society and warlike. And there were different factions that were vying for power. And it's it's not an enlightened civilization that's moved beyond these things. Which I I, think is...
1: I mean, what's an enlightened civilization that's moved beyond these things look like?
0: uh, Uh. The Federation. (laughs) Uh.
1: So my question to you... Do you think Jadis is the big bad of this
0: story? Uh, Without saying anything about Chapter 6, maybe. (sighs) I haven't read ahead at all, and I don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) Shut up. But um, maybe. I mean, she's being set up. She's being given a lot of character development for a throwaway character. Mm -hmm. So I believe she's going to be a thing for a while. Whether or not she's going to be the main focus of the story, I don't know. Uh, I know... In the back of my head this is a prequel and this is kind of a lead-in to where Narnia comes in and the story of Narnia and she's not really a thing as far as I know in that book and so this this is her kind of point in time and I don't know if she has anything to do with Narnia at this point but yeah it seems like she's given a lot of dialogue and a lot of thought for, for somebody who's not important. Yeah. So.
1: She's also the main, ex- I mean, she's our only link to Charn historically. Yeah. So she's telling us about Charn. She's, she's telling the story of her accomplishments. She's very puffed up. Uh-huh. She blames her sister's pride for destroying the world, even though she's the one who destroyed the world. In her pride and her need to be in control. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I agree with you. She's she's way too fleshed out of a character to be a throwaway character.
0: Uh-huh. Now,
1: I do know that she, you know, I, I know because I've read this book.
0: What happens. Yeah,
1: what happens. So I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything for you.
0: <sighs> okay, thank you.
1: About whether or not she continues in the story, but... I You know, we we joked earlier about who was the big bad. Was it, you know, and Uncle Andrew's fairy godmother? Was it Uncle Andrew? Um, mm-hmm. You know, things like that. So we now have another uh, opportunity for our baddie uh-huh. uh, to be Jadis the Queen.
0: Huh. Uh, is there a significance to the chapter title? Uh, because reading through the chapter, you know, In a vacuum, it just seems like it's a MacGuffin, and it's not something that's really important to the story. The deplorable word, this thing that you have trouble saying, uh, is a spell that she used to kill everything, and it's the title of the chapter. Is that... Because I feel like all the chapter titles up to this point have been significant to the story in some way and say something about it. Does this say something about things that happen further on in a vague kind of way that you can can answer that without spoiling it?
1: You mean like calling the Avengers Infinity War The Snap. Uh-huh. Um, I, I feel like within the the chapters we've read so far, the first one was the wrong door. Yeah. And the major plot element of that story was them going through the wrong door.
0: Which is also foreshadowing.
1: Foreshadowing. Then we had chapter two, uh, Andrew, or er, uh, Diggory and his uncle. Yeah. And it is just a closed room with two people talking. yeah. So it is just an explanation of what happens. Uh-huh. No foreshadowing, no extra information, just this is it. Yeah. Then we have the wood between the worlds. Yeah. this is it. It is just world building of the wood between the worlds. Mm. Also an allusion to other literature and things like that. Yes. Then we have chapter four, The Bell and the Hammer. That one, again, goes back to our model of it being foreshadowing mm-hmm. because they explore this whole huge city on Charn and find this room full of these images. And as an afterthought, it's like, oh, yeah, over at the table over there, there was Bell with a hammer. Mm-hmm. And Diggory's going to hit it, and it's going to literally shake the foundations of this building so that mm-hmm. the roof is collapsing. Ah. Um, and it's, it's actually like a major plot thing. And then we have the deplorable word. And I feel like this is going back to that model of like the wood between the worlds. The wood between the worlds. It is just a... Worlds and words are difficult for you. <laughs> it's a struggle. I really am not made for a audio medium. The, the story here is about charm. and... It's that's part of why I struggle and call it the deplorable world because in my head charn is the deplorable world Mm -hmm. But it is about the deplorable word that Jadis used to destroy all life here So I feel like it's you know, it's an allusion to this deplorable word as The means of destruction for this place that they're in yeah it is a representation of the history of the place and also the power of Jadis. Yeah, I think that it's. I think it's an important title. I mean, the only other pl- like title that I can think is like the history of Charn,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, or you know, the Queen and her words,
0: uh-huh. or
1: something like that. Like I can't really think of another title that would be more fitting.
0: Yeah, um, so I want to talk a little bit about. Jadis's goals here and who who she was as a character because there's this really interesting passage where she's ta- uh, Diggory's just like what about the people and Bally's like what about, you know, all the and women and children and animals and all these things that you killed that were completely innocent and Jadis is like, well I'm the queen, they're my subjects, they're my people, what more do they exist for than to serve my will uh, implying, you know it wasn't wrong that she killed everybody because they're there to serve her will and in them dying, they uh, fulfill that. But it seems pointless and it seems like at best a really pirate victory where she's like, you know, oh, hey, I can't win this war conventionally. I'm going to kill everything. But then at the same time, she becomes queen over nothing. Like she has no subjects or slaves or people or anything anymore and she's just alone on a dying world.
1: Ours is and, a high and lonely destiny.
0: Uh, and and what's the point? Like was she just that was that just to show that she was that arrogant where she's like, Well, if I can't have it nobody will and everybody's gonna be dead. Like, that was a that was a preferable outcome to her than losing.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah. and that that you find that a lot, like yeah. even in, you know. You referenced Star Trek earlier. They're always like, well, we'll just blow up the ship and kill the whole crew instead of letting you get our technology. Uh-huh. I'll begin the auto-destruct <laughs> sequence. Uh-huh. But she also has this moment when she does speak the deplorable word. like She's talking about the war with her sister uh-huh. and how within that war it was the custom and the rule that they not use magic. Yes. And she claims that her sister broke that rule and used magic. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, oh, well, you're not going to play by the rules? Neither am I. Deplorable word. Uh Uh-huh. And it's also in this moment where she waited until she was face-to-face with her sister. Mm -hmm. And her sister declared victory. And she goes, yeah, but not yours. And kills everybody. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know, like... I. At that point, she had put in enough effort to learning the deplorable word and whatever ceremonies needed to go into using it that she planned to use it. But what was her plan? Like, I agree with you. What was her plan? Yeah. What was her intent? Like, what was her expectation?
0: Yeah, she knew she couldn't leave the world, so she was going to be stuck there possibly forever. And she she also
1: knew she couldn't win. Yeah because she wouldn't have put in the effort to do all of that and the ceremonies to prepare to use the word if she thought that she could win by conventional means. Yeah. I I mean, I don't get it either. Like, I don't <laughs> get it. This, yeah. this character is not... I mean, she wants control so badly that she's willing to destroy everything. Just so that she has the chance mm. of controlling something else if someone else comes along.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure she's going to, I mean, be in later parts of the book and we'll get more info about her character. Uh, spoilers ahead, specifically in the next chapter, I think a lot of very interesting things happen, which uh, tell us more about who she is. Uh, Stop. That's the most eye-rolly part of this
1: podcast. In the next chapter, any, any, which I haven't read anybody yet. Anybody
0: listening to this has read the book, I guarantee you. Oh,
1: you haven't <laughs> read the book? Yes. And you're making the podcast. Uh,
0: it's a very obscure book for anybody who hasn't read it before to be like, I want to listen to a podcast about this. What else? Anyway. So before we move on and chop and screw this chapter and turn it into a different story, uh, which is a thing we do, is there anything else you want to add? in terms of analysis.
1: So as far as my bullet points go, I had Jadis the queen. Is this the baddie? Uh, She learned the deplorable word at a great cost. The enchanted sleep. We talked about all of that. Uh, We talked about magic as a pervasive thing. Possibly. We don't know. Um, Royal blood equaling magic. The deplorable word. I kind of alluded to this idea of Jadis's beauty as... um, and Jadis' need for control, but I didn't really connect them. So I, I think that it's very interesting that Jadis uses her beauty as a control, and I'm, uh, I'm unsure, it's unclear as to whether or not this is an enchantment, which I would assume that it is because it doesn't affect Polly in the same way that it affects Diggory. Um, and that said, we also haven't really talked a lot about how Polly is ignored completely. In this whole chapter, she is just grabbed by the hand and dragged along. Mm-hmm. So those those were the only two things that I kind of wanted to, to touch on before we ended.
0: Uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw out, uh, is there any character development that we really see with Diggory and or Polly? Because we talked a lot about Jadis, but do either of them do anything that flushes out their characters more?
1: I mean, I feel like we get a lot more of Polly's perspective in this chapter than we do of Diggory's. And we've had a couple chapters with a lot of Diggory's perspective. And we get more that we're more inside Polly's head in this chapter than any anything else. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we get a little bit more of Polly just like, I really hope Diggory doesn't say anything stupid and I can't get to my ring like, Polly's is trying to figure out how to escape while also knowing that she can't reach across her body to her pocket in order to get to the ring yeah. that will get her out. I mean, but other than that, no, I don't feel like there's a ton of character development for our two mains very much. Uh,
0: one thing I do want to throw in there that I just thought of was that I think there's kind of a... Uh a callback, if you will, or I don't know what you want to call it, like, a a reverb or a reprisal of this, this kind of theme, where in chapter two, we have Polly and Diggory going into Uncle Andrew's room, and Uncle Andrew's being very charming and saying, oh, a pretty young girl like yourself, uh, obviously you need some jewelry, and, you know, kind of, Uh, Convinces her with flattery to go ahead and try these rings on and she's very taken taken away by this and you make a comment saying young girls are stupid when they're flattered and We have this reversal in this chapter where Diggory's very enamored by this Queen and Polly's just like But he also (laughs)
1: doesn't do anything stupid like you he does have, ring
0: the bell. I mean, that's I a thing mean, that happens in Chapter 4. He but. rang the <laughs> bell,
1: and that is, yes, that's his being a bird reaching out, and touching the thing. So that's yep. his equivalent to the ring. Yes. But he did that purely based off of the influence of the impulsive need to do something. There was no obvious exterior influence. Like, obviously, there were enchantments and magic existing in the room, but, like, nobody talked to him and said you should ring the bell. Nobody said, it's so quiet here, what would happen if? Like, Polly is taken into the room, is like, let's get out of here. Oh, you're not so bad, when he starts talking. Uh And she is influenced in this very, you know, like, she's not influenced by the environment, she's influenced by the words. And then Diggory is influenced not by any words, but by the environment, So let me correct myself there. Diggory is influenced by some words. They're the words of the the riddle thing on the side of the tower. But what he's influenced by is is magic and a riddle and a challenge. And he rings the bell rather than Polly, who's influenced just by someone's words and charm. But once we have the queen standing up, Diggory is just a non-character. Uh-huh. Like we have only Polly's perspective from there because Diggory is just enamored with her and being dragged along is the the feeling that the text gives. Yeah. with Polly Polly's perspective being our primary perspective. Yeah, and you reflected that influence in your five sentences at the beginning because all you talked about was Polly's perspective. Yeah. And then all we've talked about this whole time is Jadis, which is what I focused on in my sentences. Yeah. So I feel like between that, even just our sentences at the beginning, we acknowledge that Diggory is almost a non-character. Yeah. We have no development, and we do have this kind of reversal from where Polly, you know, disappeared and we had a whole chapter about Diggory and his uncle. Mm -hmm. And then we've now reversed that, where we have a whole chapter about Jadis and Polly. Yeah. And Diggory's kind of disappeared.
0: This this chapter passes the Bechdel test, as a reference to an earlier episode. <laughs> the Bechdel test, also known as the Bechdel-Wallace test, is a measure of the representation of women in fiction. It asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. The requirement that the two women must be named is sometimes added. The test is named after the American cartoonist Alison Bechdel, in whose comic strip Dykes to Watch Out for, the test first appeared in 1985. Bechdel credited the idea to her friend Liz Wallace and the writings of Virginia Woolf.
1: I mean, do Jadis and Polly talk? Because every time that Polly says they have something. An Every time Polly says something, Jadis responds to Diggory. It makes it very clear that she's always looking at Diggory. Mm. The only time that she says something that could be addressed to Polly is that last moment where she, what does she call them? Um, Minions. Minions. Where she yells, minions, like... That's the only time that she's actually talked to Polly. Like, she doesn't talk to Polly. It does not pass the Bechdel test at all. Okay. Because it is Jadis talking about herself to no one or to Diggory. Okay, so within this chapter, we kind of have this really big development of Jadis as a character, a little bit inside Polly's head, nothing really for Diggory. This world of charm, magic as a as a universal concept, and this idea of magic and royalty and control all kind of linking together. We have a lot of parallels between Jadis and uh, Uncle Andrew, and that's the chapter. Cool. Ready to...
0: I agree with that. So, ready to
1: mix it up and let's, write let's, new stories? Let's
0: shake some things up.
1: All right, let's do it. We usually start with you. I'm going to start this time. Okay. Okay. We ready? Yeah. This is my chapter rewrite. We take three to five sentences from the chapter, lift them out of the chapter, and create a new story. So these are all sentences from this chapter where I'm attempting to create a new story. This is the most creatively challenging effort That I've had to do in a while is trying to create new stories out of existing stories just by pulling sentences out of context. Mm -hmm. I thought this would be easier for me as a concept when we started. But I'm actually like really, really challenged by it and really, really enjoying it. So here we go. You must be only the servant of a magician. Your uncle is the great king and the great enchanter of your world ours is a high and lonely destiny they were rushing upward and a warm green light was growing nearer overhead those were the only two things to be seen in the dark sky they made a
0: dismal group okay so what was your what was your idea behind this
1: i i mean i'm trying to make it kind of just this ethereal like these two great people I, I mean, I was just really working on a scene rather than a story.
0: Uh-huh. I
1: mean, it, it, it's a it's a struggle with this chapter being, like, the the things, the, el- the plot elements to pull out and create a new story are, like, my father killed a whole bunch of people. She declared victory. You know, like... Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just wasn't inspired by those things. The sentence that really inspired me in this whole chapter was... um those were the only two things to be seen in the dark sky. They made a dismal group yeah. talking about the big red sun and this one single star. Uh-huh. And I don't know what it was about the, that sentence, but I just really wanted to create a scene mm-hmm. that kind of made those two elements be something else. Uh-huh. And to say they were a dismal group about someone else other uh-huh. than the stars. So kind of being like, you must only be the servant of a great magician. Um, So like this idea of like a servant and his and his master Uh being this dismal group rushing upwards toward the green light of something. Yeah. So I don't know. I I don't think this is a strong effort on my part, but I really wanted to just create a scene and use that dismal group image in the sentence. I gotcha. So.
0: That feels you. Uh, alright, you ready for mine? Alright. Alright, so here's mine, which I think you might have uh, some enjoyment out of. You? But you are only a child. A common child. I do hope Diggory has the sense to keep his mouth shut. No, said Diggory. At any moment I was ready to make peace. Yes, and to spare her life too, if only she would yield me the throne. Now let us be going. It is cold here at the end of all the ages.
1: I really like that. I really like what you did with that and made made the character degree into this low-key, like, no, I looked like just a child, but I'm really, you know, some OP master of things. Yeah, that's I, what I was going for. I really, yeah, you did it effectively. I really like that, that... That's a lot of fun.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So I feel like you could come up with a whole other book out of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. We also kind of... I mean, I've taken a couple of these and and challenged you because you tend to bring out characters specifically from the chapter and write something else about them. Uh Uh-huh. I think that that's an interesting take on Diggory as he's presented in the chapter where Diggory is just this non-entity. And you've taken that non-entity and made it into some element of power in this i, I like it thank you you did it yeah no, you've done good
0: <laughs> I, I, that was strangely enough that was built on the line no said diggory like i, I just was inspired by that <laughs> i mean it's a, it's a very simple powerful uh line in the story so listeners uh all twelve of you out there, if you want to tweet at us at chronicallypod on Twitter uh, with your own uh, remixed versions of this story, we'd love to hear them. Um, okay, so before...
1: hashtag Narnia mm. cut and, screw... and screwed, chopped and yeah. screwed. Uh huh. Hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed.
0: Yeah. Uh, because because I'm old school like that. And okay, so then we have this last segment that we do that Kristen hates. It is one of my favorites where we're going to look at the chapter as a whole, and we're going to give it a rating because, you know, what's a podcast without rating things based on, you know, arbitrary nonsense? Well, uh, if
1: the audience <laughs> would like to rate our podcast...
0: <laughs> uh, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so what is our rating system? Because every week we do a, a different uh, measurement of...
1: I think we should rate this out of five deplorable words.
0: Ooh, Seven words you can't say on podcasts. Okay. Um, so out of five deplorable words, okay, would you like me to go first?
1: Uh, uh, obviously, this is your segment. I don't it have anything to do with this segment. Okay. Except so, exist as a foil to you and this segment.
0: And the whole system that I try to come up with. Okay. Okay. So this chapter... We learn a lot about, uh, the history of Charn and where this world is coming from. Uh, we learn uh, a lot about who the Queen is, about Jadis, uh, not so much about Diggory and Polly. And, uh, yeah, it's some good world building. So, I guess out of deplorable words, I want to say maybe, uh... Maybe three and a half. I'm hovering between three and a half and four. Because, like, I like the world building. At the same time, negatives, I feel like Jadis is introduced uh, too strongly. I feel like like she's, you know, she's this big, over-the-top, cartoony bad guy who's just like, let me go ahead and explain my entire plot to these two children who just randomly found me. And I'm going to talk about how I killed everybody, like, right out the gate. Which she's not even trying to pretend to be anything else. Which I think is interesting. And she's like, "Hey, I killed everyone. Hey, take me to your world." I mean, even when you're talking to children, that seems a bit too on the nose.
1: Hmm,
0: okay. Um, Fair. And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna say three and a half deplorable words.
1: Okay. My initial reaction is just to give this a four-letter word. Um, so that's gonna be my rating. <sighs> I really enjoyed the I really enjoyed the world building and development of the concept of magic and power. I really really appreciate that in this story. Uh-huh. I, I I'm very inspired by that dead world that is Charn. I love it. Uh huh. Um, I've always loved it, and um, yeah. Other than that, I don't really have a whole lot to say. I agree with you about the cartoony villain. I agree with you about the expository nature of it as being kind of overwhelming. Um, I mean, they could have walked through a torture chamber instead of had her talk about there are the torture chambers, but whatever.
0: Yeah, he kind of breaks the the show don't tell rule of of fiction here. Again, it also is a children's book, so you kind of have to do a lot of telling.
1: Also, this is, I I mean, like, I, I don't want to give you major plot spoilers, but I'm pretty sure the kids don't come back to Charm. Uh-huh. After, like, the events that are happening right now.
0: I don't see why they would. There's nothing there. And,
1: and, I mean, like you said, this would be a lot of development for a throwaway character. Yeah. This is a lot of backstory for a throwaway world. Yeah. You know, like, and I've always been heavily influenced by the world of Charn. I've always really liked the world of Charn. It's always stuck with me as a concept and a place mm-hmm. that had, to me, an impact.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, that said... Yeah, I give it a four-letter word. So, thank you so much for listening uh, to our our chapter, our discussion, and our uh, ramblings. If you'd like to get more involved, you can um, follow us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can tweet at us at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. If you're bored, because we are too. Um, anything else to say?
0: Uh, join us next week for Chapter 6, where we're going to... Uh, what's the title of Chapter 6?
1: The chapter title of Chapter 6 is The Beginning of Uncle Andrew's Troubles.
0: Which I feel like isn't really the beginning of his troubles at all, but uh, we'll, we'll see what troubles he gets into. Yeah. So, uh, so signing off, I'm here with my co-host...
1: Jadis, the queen of queens.
0: And I am Diggory's complete lack of surprise. Uh, <laughs> and with that, we'll see you next week. Um, uh, let's talk about. Well, let's talk about. Don't poly-
1: ask me <laughs> if there's something else I want to talk about and yeah. then talk about something else. Insert cutout music here. I was actively speaking in answer to your question. Go on. Nice to meet you, Fonny. I'm Kristen. (laughs)